0: Happy Friday, one and all. Today's Friday, May 27th, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer at New Mexico PBS. You're listening to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for this Friday evening, and we are once again heavily focused on the wildfires, which continue to consume much of the state. Of course, much of the attention still on the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon, now the largest wildfire in state history, over 300,000 acres, but uh, not getting quite as much attention is the Black Fire down in the Gila Wilderness, that is now the third biggest in state history, has climbed to over 100,000 acres in a very short period of time. Uh, Quite a different situation there, mainly to start with. Unlike the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon Fire, that was not ignited by a prescribed burn, And so we're gonna dive into a lot of this stuff this week. We uh, are continuing to try to bring you some context behind what is going on, not only with the wildfire season in general, but the science behind not only the fires and how they start, but how we respond to them and the resources we need. And so we're going to continue that this week. We're going to start off with Senator Martin Heinrich, U.S. Senator representing New Mexico. He's, of course, a Democrat. And our Our Orland correspondent, Laura Paskus, caught up with him this week uh, from Washington. Uh, The senator was in Washington, Laura here in our studio, and basically wanted to talk to him about what he is doing on Capitol Hill to try to especially provide more resources for the firefighters that are out there doing such amazing work, as well as oversight of the Forest Service with these prescribed burns and everything else involving climate change. So this is the full interview with Senator Heinrich. If you watched the show this week on air, you only got part of it, but we wanted to bring it to you all here. So here's Senator Martin Heinrich and our land correspondent, Laura Pasquez.
1: Hi, Senator Heinrich. Thanks for joining me today.
2: It's a pleasure.
1: So you are back in D.C. right now, but you were out in New Mexico visiting the fires. We're all sort of seeing and also stunned by much of the destruction, but I'm curious if anything in particular surprised you on the various fires you were visiting.
2: You know, looking at uh, the run that... Um, The fire made west of Las Vegas, which actually happened at night when when these Ponderosa fires usually lay down and and get on the forest floor and seeing that made that big run at night. um, That's that's just it's scary. We're just seeing fire behavior. And um, I've been around a lot of fires and this is this is a lot of new behavior. And and I think we should all. we just have to reassess everything based on how much things are changing.
1: Yeah. I'm curious if you've heard anything about Hermit's Peak, Calf Canyon, if we know any more about how that fire got out of control.
2: No. Uh, I, and I think the the question that I have, I'm going to let the investigation move forward and, and come up with a conclusion, but I think we've all seen that our, especially this year, our spring is different than it's been in the past. And I think we need to look at the windows of when it's appropriate to use prescribed fire on the landscape. And in talking to people who are sort of crunching that data at various different places, I think we're probably gonna lose the ability to burn in the spring, at least in certain windows and see that shift to times where historically, November and December, we couldn't do prescribed fire on a landscape because you couldn't get it to burn right. And now it can. So I just think I think we need to do a deep dive on all of our forest management and, and try to update things to what is going to be most productive for our residents and for our forests going into the future, and and not make any assumptions because things are changing so quickly.
1: Yeah, so lots of conversations around prescribed fire right now, including with um, the forest chief is doing a 90 day pause and review, but the the problem of our forests and a fire in New Mexico and across the West seems much bigger than one practice or one agency and i'm curious kind of you know what you see on the landscape and how we're going to deal with this.
2: Well, I think. Last year, in both the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then again in the omnibus funding bill at the end of the year, we made really historic investments in um, in personnel and forest resilience. And we are going to need those dollars to be put to work quickly to be able to, to get uh, ahead of this. To also, you know, do the treatments that are going to be necessary to continue to protect some of these. Um, forested communities. And we're going to have to treat our firefighters better. Like we do not pay firefighters enough for starters. Uh, Some of that is starting to change, but, you know, even even the the raise that says, um, you know, no one should make less than 15 bucks an hour. Well, I've never seen somebody work harder than these frontline firefighters and 15 bucks an hour. I'm not sure that does it. Um, I do think that the money that we put We put $600 million into the bipartisan infrastructure bill to deal with the structural issue of making a really better paid uh, year round wildland firefighter category that are going to be, you know, real professionals that carry all that institutional knowledge from season to season. Um, They're going to make more money as well they should, but they're also gonna be the professionals who um, in between the seasonals that we're still gonna need are going to be working in the woods year round, not only fighting fires, but also being a part of all the prescriptions that help us get the fire danger down and manageable again. And probably the restoration of watersheds, which are gonna be so important to every one of these mountain communities. Yeah,
1: so you and others, um sent a letter earlier this month to the Interior Department, Ag Department and the Office of Personnel Management about your concerns about this federal workforce. Um, What were you worried about?
2: Well, my concern was uh, the original timeline would have normally sort of coincided with them coming out with um, uh, a rule as to how much people in this professional class should be paid at, at what level. Um, and that would have sort of coincided with the beginning of fire season. But our fire season started months earlier this year, right? So we have so many people in the field right now. And I want to send a message to them that we are grateful that we're thinking about their professional uh, and personal well-being uh, in a way that that hasn't been fully appreciated in recent years. And that we're going to make these changes and, and to send that signal right in the middle of What we're dealing with right now so that they feel the gratitude that I know I and many other residents of New Mexico feel.
1: Yeah I was really you know we've covered this issue of um of the the workforce but I was really surprised when I read your letter um which said last year fire officials were unable to fill an unprecedented 1800 interagency requests for wildland firefighting crews and more than 1900 requests for fire engines. Um, The letter goes on to talk about the shortages in the West heading into this fire season, with officials estimating staffing will be below 75% in some regions. Are we seeing that play out in the West and in New Mexico right now, do you think?
2: Well, we're not seeing it in New Mexico only because right now we're the whole game, right? So you have, I believe the current number is something like 3,000 people on the northern fire complex, that doesn't count the folks who are down on the Black Fire and some of these other fires. So right now, we are benefiting as hard as what we're going through right now is, we really are benefiting from having firefighters from across the entire nation, having uh, protection assets. I mean, we we have something like 60% of all the structure protection assets in the country, the the big pumpkin stationary tanks that hold water, the hoses, the all of that stuff, it's in New Mexico right now. So, uh, But what worries me is we're just the front end of this, right? So fire season, even once the monsoons come, uh, it, it's going to roll into other states. We're going to see the California fire season. We're going to see the Pacific Northwest fire season. We have got to get ahead of this from a personnel point of view and really start signaling and following through with it that that we value these people because they are doing heroic work, and we need to build the professional sort of cadre, um, and, and not think of this quite in the same way anymore. Really, these are these are people who are going to be um, th- these are going to be leadership positions that inform all of the decisions we're making inside a particular national forest or other public lands.
1: And of course we can't talk about climate change and dry forest and wildfire season without talking about why the climate is changing. And I'm curious, you know, what Congress is doing, can be doing um, to be cutting greenhouse gas emissions.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, one of my biggest frustrations is how much time we spend arguing about um, the hardest to decarbonize sectors instead of viewing our job as current policymakers as really accelerating the stuff that we already know how to do. Like we know how to do most of the things that are going to clean up our atmosphere and we need to do them a lot faster. And so my hope is that Some of the the things around, for example, decarbonizing, switching to electrification in homes and businesses, as our electric sector is already decarbonizing itself, can really accelerate our our progress on these things.
1: So um, these are really hard times and scary times for New Mexicans. And I feel like in in general for Americans, Um, what sort of... You know, and it's not like our fire seasons are going to get easier, or our water challenges yeah. are going to get easier. And I'm curious, you know, what kind of hope there might be, or or solutions there might be.
2: The good news is there there are a ton of solutions if we just focus on this and lead and implement. There is so much that can be done to protect our landscapes, protect our communities, change the way that we do energy in this country and around the world. Um, and and you know not being able to lead and make decisions, that's the real uh the real jeopardy. The more we do now, the the better life is gonna be for our kids and grandkids.
1: And you know, I'm curious because I think a lot of times we look to federal leadership um, because you know the federal government does drive innovation and investment, but also things really especially environmental issues, it seems like get tangled up in politics. And so I'm wondering what what sort of local action
2: or, mm-hmm.
1: or local uprisings <laughs> need to be occurring?
2: Well, I would urge people, get involved with your school board. I mean, get involved with your local city council, with your county commission. There are all sorts of action that can be taken to drive these things forward. And you know, every different level of government has a budget that they can use to get us there faster. Uh, how we build our buildings, how we uh, you know, replace furnaces with things like heat pumps that will actually return an enormous amount to the taxpayers as they're so much more efficient than the way we have been heating uh, our buildings. So there are a lot of opportunities that have nothing to do with federal policy. Uh, And certainly at the state level as well, we have great, um, great legislators who are pushing forward on things like clean fuels and and uh, incentives to speed up the rate at which we decarbonize. And, you know, that's exactly what we we should all be focused on right now, because uh, right now we can still, um, you know, it's not going to be easy going forward, uh, but the more we do, the easier it's going to be.
1: And just lastly, you know, you're someone who appreciates New Mexico's landscapes and your father. And I'm just, I just wonder what keeps you up at night that maybe we're not addressing or that we might be losing at this point.
2: You know, just just the sense of how much of New Mexico uh, changed in this fire season that I, that will not look the way that, that I know it um, in, in my lifetime, probably not my kid's lifetime either. Um, That's, that's a lot, but all the more reason to get to work.
1: All right. Well, Senator, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Mentioned the Black Fire off the top of the show. That is burning down in the Gila Wilderness. Started in mid-May. It's already climbed to way more than a 100,000 acres. And is now the third biggest wildfire in state history. So two of the three biggest wildfires in state history. All within the last two months here in New Mexico. Where we, as we've been talking about, are not even into traditional wildfire season in New Mexico. It is going to be a long summer conditions super, super dry all across New Mexico. Now the Black Fire is a a different situation. We mentioned it before, but it did not start from a prescribed burn, but this is also in a really rugged remote area. So the good news in that is there are not the communities and the evacuations we've seen from the Hermit's Peak, that has not been necessary, but it's a different kind of a a wildfire and the approach to dealing with it also has to be different. And so we wanted to learn more about that and also keep that front and center in your mind as the Hermit's Peak, Calf Canyon fire dominates the headlines. So we're going to go back now to Laura Paskus from our land. She talked to a fire behavioralist uh, with the Forest Service uh, who has been following and working on the Black Fire. Just some amazing insight here on the conditions and the techniques and approaches the firefighters use. And so we hope you appreciate this interview.
1: Good morning, Arthur Gonzalez. Thanks for joining me this morning.
3: Morning, Laura. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. So it's Wednesday, May 25th, when we're talking about the Black Fire in the Gila National Forest, which ignited on May 13th. Um, It's already this morning. I was just checking the numbers at over 167,000 acres. Why is this fire growing so fast?
3: Uh, You know, it's a good question, and we've answered that quite a few times for some of the public meetings and cooperative meetings that uh, we've had. So, uh, I I guess I would generally say, you know, when we look at fire behavior, the three things that we're looking at is fuels, weather, and topography. And so, on the night of the 13th and into the day of the 14th, and and for several uh, days following, um, all three of those elements were in alignment, and all three of those elements are kind of at the extreme end. So with fuels, uh, no surprise saying, you know, the Southwest is in a pretty bad drought. So we're dealing with a lot of drought stress fuels. And one of the things that complicated this area here is last summer we had fantastic monsoonal moisture. So we grew a lot of grass. So in between all those drought stress fuels, we have a lot of grass to help carry the fire. Uh, The other thing for topography, you know, in in the Gila and Aldo Leopold wilderness, uh, it's about as complex a topography as you'll find in the Southwest. And then on the, uh, the last element there with the, with the weather, um, it's just, uh, we had several days of 1% RH, 2% RH. So at the, at the extreme end of the weather, hot, dry, no recovery. Um, so when you line all three of those up, like we've seen on the first few days of the black Blackfire, uh, that's what gave it the opportunity to really push. If you consider the, the elevation change, uh, YOU KNOW, IT PUSHED TOWARDS THE CONTINENTAL DIVIDE. SO IT HAD SEVERAL DAYS OF UPHILL uh, ALIGNMENT, DROUGHT STRESS FUELS DRIVEN BY THE DRIEST WEATHER WE'VE SEEN IN A LONG TIME. THAT'S REALLY WHAT ESTABLISHED IT. Um, GOT a, a SIGNIFICANT FOOTPRINT, YOU KNOW, INTO THE 70, 80,000-ACRE RANGE. And THEN WHEN YOU HAVE A FIRE THAT SIZE ON THE LANDSCAPE, um, YOU KNOW, NOW that IT'S JUST its SO RUGGED, uh, you know, having to find the right opportunities to try to work with this fire is allowed to continue to move around. So, yeah, it it grew fast, it grew large, and it grew in a very rugged area. That's that's really why we're sitting with this large of a footprint.
1: Yeah, just, um, I mean, all across New Mexico, just such a devastating spring, these winds, the dryness. Um, I'm curious the in terms of the topography, but also the fuels, what is the fire burning through right now? I know it's big, so it's hard to generalize, but. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's it's a, it's a significant difference from the foothills, you know, grass, uh, grass and brush, a mix of some oak uh, uh, trees, and then as you climb up in elevation, transition from pine juniper and then all the way up into uh, mixed conifer ponderosa pine and and a little bit of aspen at the very crest of the divide there. Um, Got a photo I can show you real quick to just kind of give folks. One of the things that we struggle with is when we try to um, explain, you know, how rugged, how big this country is. When you look at a map, we kind of start to lose Perspective of, of how big this is. And so I'll share just a, a photo with you. And this is looking over from the southeast corner and looking up um, what uh, I think that's South Palomas Creek. And this is looking down from the Hermosa country, 6,000 feet, 6,100 feet up towards Reed Mountain. That's uh, just at 10,000 feet. And so you can see the transition from the fuels down in that low grass juniper. All the way up into the top in Pine, uh, you know that's looking into the Silver Fire 2013, but that's just rugged country. You know that's that's tough hiking just to to you know that's a couple days hike just to get up to the top, uh, let alone uh, manage fire across there. So uh, just a good example of what this fire is burning in how rugged the country is.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the Silver Fire. I'm also curious if the fire is burning through areas. I you know that Gila National Forest has done a lot of work. Um, with respect to fire and treatment, so I'm curious how the fire is acting in burn scars or prescribed or treated areas versus maybe areas that haven't seen fire in a while.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got a couple of slides we can we can talk about. So you're right. You know, Heliodaster Forest, one of the leaders in this in, in the entire country with the use of fire, prescribed fire, natural fire, um, but under conditions like this. Um, you know, it's still going to move through those units, those areas. They're designed to slow fire, uh, bring fire to the ground, just reduce that unnaturally high, uh, unnaturally, uh, uh, unnatural high severity type fire. Um, so we never expected those things to stop this fire, but what it did give us is uh, an additional, um, some additional time and space to make some of the decisions. Uh, so one of the things that I do, I do want to before we step into that, I do want to share a screen because. THIS HELPS EVEN TO TALK ABOUT SOME OF the, uh, THE CURRENT TREATMENTS. SO WHAT I'VE GOT UP HERE, LAURA, IS AN ENERGY RELEASE COMPONENT CHART. Um, TO SUMMARIZE IT, WHAT THIS IS, IT'S A SEASONAL INDICATOR OF THE AMOUNT OF ENERGY AVAILABLE AT A FLAMING FRONT OF A FIRE. AND SO JUST WANT TO CALL A COUPLE OF THINGS. Uh, SO THIS IS FROM THE BEAVERHEAD ROS THAT'S uh, JUST ABOVE THE FIRE FROM 2000-2021. THE KEY THING HERE IS THAT RED LINE IS THE HIGHEST indice THAT HAS BEEN RECORDED SINCE 2000. THE GRAY IS THE AVERAGE LINE AND EVERYBODY IN THE SOUTHWEST KIND OF UNDERSTANDS THAT PEAK THERE. THAT'S JUST BEFORE MONSOONS AND THEN WE DROP OFF. THAT BLACK LINE IS TRACKING 2022. AND SO WE WERE setting ALL-TIME HIGHS. SO THIS IS, YOU KNOW, THIS IS CONDITIONS THAT WE JUST HAVE NOT SEEN BEFORE. Um, and, AND IT'S DEFINITELY A MONTH, MONTH AND A HALF AHEAD. SO I'LL USE THAT JUST TO KIND OF HELP set the stage for their questionnaire in in what we're seeing in the difference so uh, you know I love pictures pictures worth a thousand words so here's a couple here's a slide Laura to to talk a little bit about this so um, what you're seeing here is just a a Google Earth image Um, in the lower left-hand corner there you've got a red outline that's the fire perimeter on uh, on May uh, 21st I believe there or May 15th sorry and uh, that lower one, you can see how that uh, right in the middle of that screen there, there's a yellow polygon called the South 2019. That was a wildfire that happened a, a few years ago, and as this fire was growing and rapidly pushing uphill towards the, the the Continental Divide, you can see where this fire actually had to split and go around that fire. So that previous uh, footprint there made a significant difference in in how fast this fire moved up. Um, and then just above that, uh, you see the top yellow polygon. That's the round fire of two thousand seventeen, and uh, you could see the uh, fire moving around that. And like I say, they they eventually moved through there. But what it did is it slowed that fire down. It brought it down to the ground. Um, Very important for our firefighters. It gave them a little more time and space to make some decisions, uh, get some line prepped out ahead of that. Uh, It really slowed it down. And then uh, I'm going to flip over to uh, another photo here, real quick, to show um, uh, uh, just a a photo of when that moved through that round fire that I just talked about. And uh, you can see the fire that's moved through. It's now moving off into the background there, moving across there. But the key thing is. THIS FIRE HAS ALREADY MOVED THROUGH HERE, AND WE CAN STILL SEE A LOT OF STANDING TREES, A LOT OF GREEN CANOPY. THAT IS WHAT THE INTENT OF THOSE FUELS TREATMENTS uh, HAVE BEEN ABLE TO DO. SO REDUCES THE SEVERITY OF THESE FIRES, um, REALLY HELPS OUT. AND THEN ONE LAST screenshot RIGHT HERE JUST BEFORE WE MOVE ON. Um, AS WE CONTINUE TO MAKE PROGRESS AROUND THE NORTH SIDE OF THIS FIRE, uh, ON THAT RIGHT-HAND CORNER, YOU CAN SEE A SEPARATE RED POLYGON. THAT'S FIRING OPERATIONS. THAT the, the, uh, THE FIREFIGHTERS ARE DOING TO TRY TO GET AHEAD OF THIS FIRE TO BOX IT IN AND THEY'RE GOING TO BE COMING INTO SOME PRESCRIBED FIRE UNITS THE uh, AREA 74 PRESCRIBED FIRE UNITS THE Gila NATIONAL FOREST CONDUCTED IN uh, 2018 AND THOSE FIREFIGHTERS ARE ALREADY seeing A DIFFERENCE IN FIRE THEY'RE ABLE TO TO HOLD THE FIRE THEY'RE ABLE TO BRING THE FIRE TO THE GROUND SO A uh, SIGNIFICANT DIFFERENCE IN PREVIOUS TREATMENTS AND HOW THIS FIRE IS BURNING um, COMPLETELY EXPECTED TO BURN THROUGH THERE, BUT IT BRINGS IT DOWN TO a, a LOWER SEVERITY.
1: YEAH, THOSE those MAPS AND THOSE GRAPHICS AND PHOTOS ARE REALLY HELPFUL BECAUSE I THINK, um, YOU KNOW, FOR THOSE OF US WHO ARE NOT IN THE MIDDLE OF A FOREST FIRE, THANKFULLY, WE DON'T ALWAYS KIND OF UNDERSTAND THE, the DIFFERENT WAYS THAT A FIRE CAN BURN. AND I WAS WONDERING IF YOU COULD TALK A LITTLE BIT ABOUT the difference between, say, low severity and high severity fire in terms of what that looks like on the ground when it's burning, but also kind of the, the post-fire impacts on the landscape?
3: Yeah, great, great question. So that photo I showed you there, right? I say that fire came down to the ground low severity. When the fire gets up into the tops of the trees and is moving across, uh, there's nothing we can really do from a fire management perspective something out of that triangle has to change fuels weather topography for that fire to slow down when it slow downs and, it, and it's burning just across the, the surface the way it historically did through pine litter through grass uh, then we can have some opportunities to use aviation or, or uh, ground resources to go and, and try to corral that fire um, so the benefits um, you know are really evident in that high severity fire that's up in the tree crowns that's moving fast um, we don't want to see that in these type of fuels. Uh, the difference is, let me pull up a photo here. So I showed you the round fire. You could still see a lot of those trees. You could see a lot of the, uh, the remaining canopy. Um, here's a, a, a photo. If you look across the landscape there, you can see the difference between some low severity and high severity. A lot of this is driven by topography. So you can see it kind of patchy across there. So the fire's burning through there, backs downhill, low severity through grass, through pine litter. Uh, but then when it gets established at the bottom of a slope, pushes up here. You can see where we completely lose the canopy in there. Now a mosaic of that is not necessarily bad. Uh, the the bad part is when we see like entire canyons, entire mountains burn under high severity where it burns all the trees. Then you have post fire issues. Uh, and it takes a while for those, uh, those trees to come back into that area. So significant difference when we talk low severity to high severity there, Laura. Mm-hmm.
1: So oh, I'm, I'm curious, how is it that the Gila National Forest has been able to do prescribed burn? Like, is this, was this a priority of that particular forest? Have you all just been doing it for a long time to kind of have these chunks of areas that have been treated already?
3: Yeah, you know, I used to work on the Gila. Um, and so I can speak a little bit to that. Um, they're definitely the experts, but yeah, you know, across the Southwest, uh, trying to restore landscapes is is a priority. Uh, and the Gila has been a leader in using fire to do some of that stuff. Prescribed fire allowing uh, beneficial natural lightning caused fires to move around the landscape. They've made it a priority. They got such big country, such remote country. Uh, you know, they're able to do that at a landscape scale. AND, you know it's it's, it's challenging right uh, nobody really likes smoke smoke is a nuisance but uh, you know what we what we say is it's like cleaning your house if you never vacuum it's going to get dirty and eventually you can't even move around um, so the Gila has been very good at taking care of the landscape getting fire on the landscape so it's a priority for them it's a priority across the agencies because uh, you know it, it gives them an opportunity when you have an unwanted fire to be able to go pick that up or, or it can run into a You know better fuels that have been treated so uh making that a priority and just understanding that this ecosystem it needs fire and so fire is not just necessarily a bad thing right it it needs fire the the bad side of it is when it's unnatural we get high severity over large landscapes so Mm -hmm. they've done well at doing a lot of work to do uh, low severity type fire across a big chunk of land
1: AND SO WHEN WE'RE TALKING ABOUT THAT FOOTPRINT, THAT PERIMETER OF, SAY, THE BLACK FIRE, FOR INSTANCE, WHICH, LIKE I MENTIONED, IS OVER 167,000 ACRES ALREADY, it, THAT DOESN'T NECESSARILY MEAN THAT THE ENTIRE AREA IN that, THAT FOOTPRINT HAS BURNED. CAN YOU KIND OF EXPLAIN THAT?
3: YEAH, ABSOLUTELY. SO THAT LAST PHOTO I SHOWED, RIGHT, IT'S uh, if, we, IF WE FLIP OVER AND JUST LOOK AT um, what what we've seen here over the last week and a half or so this is the progression uh, chart and so what we look at is like these perimeters and I, and I think sometimes there's a, a misunderstanding that if it's within that imp that uh, perimeter that it that it's completely burned and and that's not the case the uh, the prior photo that I showed and I'll bring that back up because it's a it's a good example of uh, of, of kind of that mosaic. Um, type uh, well let me see let me let me pull up the right photo I'll actually show a different one so we don't focus on the same one so you can see as this fire is moving this is over into the 2013 um, silver fire footprint so it doesn't all necessarily burn this fire has come from the south from the north headed south you can see just behind the smoke there there's actually an unburned slope there so it's not continuous it's really based on the on the fuels and the topography where it's available. HERE IN THE 2013 FOOTPRINT, YOU CAN STILL SEE THE RESIDUAL CANOPY. YOU SEE ALL THOSE DEAD LOGS ON THE GROUND. IT'S MOVING THROUGH. IT'S BURNING THOSE UP. Uh, THE SURPRISING THING HERE IS THAT THOSE THINGS BURN TO ASH WITHIN uh, 24 HOURS. THOSE ARE LARGE LOGS. THAT JUST SHOWS HOW DRY IT IS HERE. BUT IT'S NOT COMPLETELY uh, BURNING 100% OF THE LANDSCAPE. IT'S MOVING AROUND. Um, ONE OF THE GOOD THINGS ABOUT THIS uh, Gila NATIONAL FOREST AND THE AMOUNT OF FIRE THEY'VE HAD IS it can burn through some areas, and it won't burn through others. Over on the east side of the fire, it's coming downhill towards some uh, some lighter grass fuels, and we see that stuff naturally checking up. It, it's just not burning through some country because it's too rocky, grass is too sparse. So it's not, even though it's showing within the perimeter, it's not consuming all those fuels. It's uh, burning through some areas, backing around those, um, so it's leaving a mosaic of, of burned, unburned across the landscape.
1: So, if I'm not mistaken, at this point, the Black Fire is now the third largest in New Mexico history. Um, I know you can't forecast everything, but what do you anticipate in terms of how much larger it will grow, given conditions this spring, and kind of what we might see in the next couple of weeks?
3: Yeah, so uh, I'll give that an educated guess, guess. So, my job on this fire, right, as the fire behavior analysis. To try to predict where this is going, how fast did it get there. So one of the things that I pay attention to is, uh, you know, what's that potential footprint? Um, so I'll uh, I'll give my educated guess uh, with two different numbers. Um, I would I would say from 167,000 acres, based on where this fire is going to get out to good control features on the north side to keep it from advancing even further north, um, and then what what right now I say minimally it would move across the wilderness in that 2013 silver fire footprint. Um, my, uh, low end estimate, it's going to be 235,000 acres. And then really what it's going to depend on is how far Laura, how far that fire wants to continue to move south up in the wilderness, um, until we basically get monsoon moisture. So it's coming to the south, it's moving a lot slower, but, um, there's still a lot of summer left. There's still a lot of room left for that fire to just continue to slowly back to the south. Mm.
1: You mentioned earlier line prep, and you just mentioned control features. Can you give us an idea of what firefighters do on the ground to kind of control? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Absolutely, Laura. So a lot of act, a lot of different types of management activities occurring on this fire. Uh, our incident commander mentioned some of those things this morning. So, um, at the end of the day for this fire to stop, right? We have to remove one of those elements. And so right now on the north side, what they're trying to remove is fuel, the fuel element of that triangle. And so they're using hand line. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting to know that, you know, some of these fires that are just hundreds of thousands of acres at the end of the day, they're stopped by hand line. That's 12 to 18 inches, uh, wide and that's. THE OLD-FASHIONED SHOVELS AND Pulaskis CREATING A BREAK IN THE FUEL SO THAT THE FIRE DOESN'T HAVE ANYTHING TO CONTINUE. SO THAT'S A MIX OF HANDLINE. Uh, THEY'RE USING DOZER LINE OUT TOWARDS uh, uh, OUTSIDE OF THE WILDERNESS, OUT TOWARDS THE ROAD CORRIDORS, ACTUALLY USING um, THE HIGHWAY 59 CORRIDOR, SMALL TWO-TRACK ROADS. THAT'S SOME OF THE STUFF THAT THEY'RE DOING ON THE NORTH SIDE. AND THEN NOW AS WE GET INTO NIGHT SHIFTS, WHAT THEY HAVE BEEN DOING IS THEY'VE BEEN USING FIRING OPERATIONS TO THEN START TO FURTHER REMOVE THOSE FUELS OFF OF HAND LINES, DOZER LINES, ROADS. THEY'RE TRYING TO CONSUME SOME OF THAT FUEL WITH A BACKING FIRE, LOW INTENSITY, BEFORE THE MAIN FIRE ADVANCES OUT TO IT, Um, USING AVIATION ASSETS. um, LAST NIGHT THEY USED A a DRONE, A UAS, TO uh, CONDUCT FIRING OPERATIONS OVERNIGHT. Um, AND THEN OVER ON THE SOUTH, WHAT THEY USE IS CHECKING ACTIONS. THEY CAN USE WATER FROM AERIAL RESOURCES. THEY CAN USE uh, uh, ADDITIONAL FIRING OPPORTUNITIES TO TRY TO CHECK FIRE UP ALONG NATURAL FEATURES. Uh, SO IT'S QUITE the MIX OF ACTIVITIES GOING ON HERE IN THIS FOREST, REALLY TRYING TO FIND A GOOD PLACE TO STOP THAT NORTHERN SPREAD uh, AND THEN TRYING TO FIND THE BEST OPPORTUNITIES TO REDUCE THE SEVERITY AS IT MOVES TO THE SOUTH.
1: SO AS YOU WERE TALKING, I WAS THINKING ABOUT OTHER, YOU KNOW, FIRES that are burning in new mexico now and seeing some of the operations that they're having to do and i'm curious how much of that that stuff could be done before a fire ever ignites versus how much of it has to be done like can only be done right then
3: uh let me see if i could try to answer that laura so um i would say there's there is some stuff that can be done in the gila national force has been you know we had that conversation earlier a lot of prescribed fire the use of natural fire under good conditions. Uh, You know, that stuff ahead of time definitely helps when you have an unwanted fire. Uh, During the fire, you know, that really comes down to the fire behavior, the desires, you know, what the objectives of the fire um, is. So those change as is. One of the things that we do remind the public is there's a lot of things that they could do ahead of time. Um, And unfortunately, New Mexico has been uh, become very, aware and knowledgeable of the ready, set, go process for evacuations. And so we try to tell folks, you know, when you live in the forest, uh, it's inevitable, there's gonna be fire, it's it's just a matter of when. So there's a lot of things that they could do ahead of time under the ready uh, to be ready, you know, taking care of fuels around their property. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that can be done there because as the fire comes through, our folks go out, take a look at that to see how defensible areas are, AND IF THOSE FOLKS DO WORK AHEAD OF TIME THEN THOSE FIREFIGHTERS CAN ACTUALLY FOCUS ELSEWHERE GET OTHER WORK DONE VERSUS THEN WHEN THE FIRE IS COMING HAVING TO START A LOT OF THAT WORK SO IT'S PROBABLY ONE OF THE BETTER THINGS THAT, that WE COULD DO AND FOLKS CAN HELP WITH uh, BEFORE A FIRE STARTS
1: YEAH YOU HAD MENTIONED EARLIER YOU KNOW THAT THE SPRING AND AT THE BEGINNING OF THE BLACK FIRE WE'RE SEEING CONDITIONS THAT WE JUST HADN'T SEEN BEFORE AND YOU KNOW EARLY IN THE SEASON Um, You know, we're all hoping for monsoons, but it is another La Niña pattern. And I'm curious, kind of the larger outlook for the rest of the Gila, for the rest of this year. Um, You know, is this something that we should all be worried about?
3: Yeah, you know, definitely uh, there's a concern of the conditions, right? Um, I watched one of your past episodes, and one of your questions was, is this surprising? AND AS YOU KNOW, I STARTED THIS BUSINESS IN 1995 AND I'VE SEEN A LOT OF LARGE FIRES. BUT IT'S SURPRISING, LAURA. IT'S SURPRISING AND IT SHOULD SURPRISE EVERYBODY. THESE ARE UNPRECEDENTED CONDITIONS. WE DON'T HAVE FOLKS IN THE AGENCY THAT CAN SAY, OH, I REMEMBER THIS WHEN WE DID THAT. THIS IS ALL UNPRECEDENTED. THIS IS THE CONDITIONS are, ARE Uh, WE'VE JUST NOT SEEN THAT BEFORE. AND SO, THE Gila NATIONAL FOREST ACTUALLY WENT INTO STAGE 2 RESTRICTIONS, um, AND THAT IS the, THE DRIVING INTENT BEHIND THAT IS TO TRY TO REDUCE THE POTENTIAL FOR ANY ADDITIONAL HUMAN COST FIRES. THEY'VE PUT A LOT OF TIME AND ENERGY JUST TO FOCUS ON THIS FIRE. The last thing they need is to be split duties and, and having to chase other wildfires around. So, yeah, definitely the concern. We still got a lot of summer left. The, the heat of the summer is still not even here yet. Right. Uh, it's just dry. Uh, flying over the crest at 9,000, 10,000 feet, some of those drainages, some of those dirt tanks up there, none of those have water. THIS IS THE TIME OF YEAR THEY SHOULD HAVE WATER SO DEFINITELY A CONCERN ABOUT THE CONDITIONS AND uh, YOU KNOW THAT'S WHAT'S uh, uh, PUSHED THE the Gila NATIONAL FORCE INTO BEING IN RESTRICTIONS TO TRY TO REDUCE THOSE POTENTIALS BECAUSE THE CONDITIONS ARE JUST NOT NOT uh, BENEFICIAL FOR HAVING TO CHASE FIRE AROUND THERE JUST THE the ISSUE ACROSS THE SOUTHWEST um, ALL THESE LARGE FIRES THEY JUST GET ESTABLISHED SO FAST AND THEY'RE SO AGGRESSIVE Um, If you've got all your time and energy committed to this fire here, the last thing you want to do is try to split that time and energy to chase something else.
1: Right. Well, thank you, Arthur. I really appreciate it. Um, This was a really helpful conversation. So thank you.
3: Absolutely. Get, Get a hold of us. We look forward to talking more if you need more information.
1: Great. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: In part because of the Hermits Peak and Calf Canyon fire, the U.S. Forest Service has put a moratorium on prescribed fires, prescribed burns across the West. And that we are going to see a massive conversations about what the prescribed fire uh, techniques and the season that we do this in, what that's going to be moving forward. You heard Senator Heinrich talk about that some before, how we might have to move that window up into late uh Late in the year, where before you couldn't get anything to burn, but now it will burn, but doesn't have the winds we know are so prevalent in the spring here. And, of course, all this coming while we continue to try to respond to not only the fires and get them under control, but also to help those who have been displaced or lost or sacrificed during the Just devastating fires that we've already seen this year. And so for that conversation, we're going to bring in the Line Opinion Panel now. And great news, host Gene Grant was back with us this week, uh, recovering from his illness. Still not 100%, but we appreciate him bearing through. And joining him is Dan Foley, former Minority Whip in the State House. Also, Inez Russell-Gomez, she's the head of the editorial page at the Santa Fe New Mexican and line regular and attorney Serge Martinez also teaches over at the UNM Law School. So without further ado, more talk on the wildfires with our line opinion panel.
4: The U.S. Forest Service has put a halt on all prescribed burns for the next 90 days. It comes as the largest fire in the country and New Mexico history, sits at more than 311,000 acres burned LESS THAN 50% CONTAINMENT. THAT FIRE STARTED AS A PRESCRIBED BURN AND CRITICISM HAS BEEN BUILDING SINCE. LET'S BRING OUR LINE OPINION PANELISTS BACK IN. WHAT'S YOUR REACTION TO THIS DECISION, DANIEL? IS IT THE RIGHT ONE FOR THE RIGHT REASONS OR IS THIS DAMAGE CONTROL FOR THE FOREST SERVICE?
5: Oh, IT'S CLEARLY DAMAGE CONTROL, BUT THAT DOESN'T MEAN THEY'RE NOT GETTING TO THE RIGHT POINT. I MEAN, mm-hmm. WHO IN THEIR RIGHT MIND IN NEW MEXICO THINKS THAT MARCH, APRIL, OR MAY, is a great time to start lighting fires in this mm-hmm. state. I mean, we spend three or four months of the year where Arizona blows to Texas, and another three or four months out of the year when Texas blows back to Arizona. And uh, to go out there and start a prescribed burn, I do think it's highlighting a greater problem, and that is effective forest management in our state right. that we are sorely lacking. And we've talked about this before. You know, if you want to see. EFFECTIVE FOREST MANAGEMENT HEAD TO ANY TRIBAL LANDS IN NEW MEXICO AND LOOK AT THEM SPECIFICALLY YOU GO TO RIODOSO AND YOU CAN LITERALLY SEE A LINE WHERE MESCALERO ENDS AND THE NATIONAL FOREST STARTS AND THIS ANSWER TO EFFECTIVE uh, FOREST MANAGEMENT BEING ONLY PRESCRIBED BURNS IS GOING TO KEEP GIVING US WHAT WE'RE GIVING US THIS IS A, this is a PROCESS THAT TAKES YEAR ROUND WORK IT TAKES Cutting, it takes replanting, it takes cutting putting in fire lines, not waiting until the windiest time of the year to say, hey, we're gonna go out there, we're gonna cut a fire break, light a fire, and hope for the best. We every year it seems like, I could be wrong, but I if I feel like every year we have a fire in this state that is started by a prescribed burn somewhere in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that they'd be the most equipped to realize this is not the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if we don't effectively manage the forests up front, this is what you get.
4: I have to tip my hat to you, Dan. You've been very strong on this for a decade plus. You have been talking about this very issue, just what you described there. I have to note that. Um, Inez, but you know, we have to keep in mind they say the Forest Service conducts an average of 4,500 prescribed burns annually, treating more than a, a million four acres of National Forest System lands, and you have to do it for the health of the forest. So it's not as if everything they do gets out of control, but are there, you know, is that good enough?
6: It's one of those situations where one bad mistake colors everything else you do. Right, And when you consider, you know, tens of thousands of acres have burnt, people have lost their homes. And, you know, the part of the the state that I personally believe is the most beautiful, I mean, that's my home that that burned. Right. My folks lived uh, in the valley for 30 years and I'm from Las Vegas and I watched the fire come thinking my grandma's grave is gonna burn up and I'll never know where she is again. And, you know, I had relatives evacuate and friends evacuate. And I looked at it just thinking, you know, what, like Dan said, what a stupid mistake and what a well intentioned mistake, because having grown up there, I've seen the forest become overgrown Mm. and they do need to be managed better. And I, I think if there's any silver lining in this, I believe that there's going to be some return to low level logging and wood removal in our forests, which will give people in villages like Mora and Sapio and all of those places Mm. um, an opportunity for economic development that we had lost, you know, in lieu of all the lawsuits over the owl, et cetera. Right, right. So I think that you're not gonna have big trees taken down, but I do think there's going to be a recognition that some of the old ways of managing forests were not bad.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. SERGE, THE U.S. Forest, Chief, FOREST SERVICE CHIEF SAYS HIS AGENCY NEEDS TO INCREASE ITS FUELS TREATMENTS, WHICH INCLUDES USING PRESCRIBED BURNS BY UP TO FOUR TIMES CURRENT LEVELS IN THE WEST. DOES THAT SEEM FEASIBLE, GIVEN STAFFING, RESOURCES, SHORTAGES WE'RE ALREADY SEEING NOW, OR DO YOU NEED TO HEAR SOMETHING TO, to BACKSTOP THAT PLAN TO GIVE YOU A LITTLE MORE COMFORT ABOUT THAT?
7: YEAH, ABSOLUTELY. I WANT you know SOMETHING BACKSTOPPING THAT TO GIVE ME MORE COMFORT. Mm-hmm. I MEAN, if what they're saying is you know we need to do what we just did the same kind of thing that just set off the largest fire in new mexico but you know more is it right. is not really comforting um but I, I mean i don't doubt that there are extremely thoughtful folks at the forest service and there's you know great ideas and you know we um ways to manage and predict and whatever um and you know more people more resources i YOU KNOW, THINK THAT'S PROBABLY a, a GOOD WAY, to A GOOD START, BUT, mm-hmm. or, OR CERTAINLY NOT A BAD THING TO THROW INTO THE MIX, BUT I DO THINK, YEAH, SAYING, YOU KNOW, WE DON'T, UNLESS I HEAR WE HAVE SOME GREAT FRESH IDEAS AND A COMMITMENT AND OUR LEARNING FROM ALL THE OTHER FOLKS AROUND US, AS DAN WAS SAYING,
4: RIGHT, I MEAN, I'M NOT CONVINCED THAT DOING THE SAME THING TIMES THREE OR FOUR IS REALLY THE ANSWER. IT'S A BIT OF A CLUNK, ISN'T IT, WITHOUT SOME MORE INFORMATION. Uh, DANIEL, RECENT STUDIES SHOW WILDFIRE RISKS FOR NEW MEXICO AND THE ENTIRE WESTERN U.S. ARE ONLY GOING TO INCREASE IN THE YEARS TO COME. WE ALL KNOW THIS. CLIMATE CHANGE IS A MAJOR REASON WHY. Uh, KIND OF AN ODDBALL QUESTION HERE, BUT SHOULD THE GOVERNOR ACCELERATE ANY OF HER LONG-TERM EMISSIONS GOALS, GIVEN HOW DIRE THE SITUATION SEEMS RIGHT NOW?
5: YOU'RE REALLY GOING TO ASK ME THAT QUESTION? (laughs) NO, I MEAN, NOT AT ALL, WHAT THE GOVERNOR SHOULD BE DOING IS GOING TO OUR TRIBAL BROTHERS AND SISTERS IN NEW MEXICO THAT EFFECTIVELY MANAGE THE FOREST AND SAY WE WANT TO EMBRACE WHAT YOU'VE DONE AND WE WANT TO BRING YOU INTO OUR INTO THE FORESTS THAT ARE OUT THERE THAT ARE STATE FORESTS AND WE WANT YOU TO JUST DO WHAT YOU'VE DONE TO MAKE YOUR TRIBAL LANDS FLOURISH DURING ALL OF THESE TIMES AND uh, CLEARLY THE PLANS WE KEEP TRYING TO IMPLEMENT, THE FORESTERS KEEP TRYING TO IMPLEMENT PALES IN COMPARISON AND WE DON'T NEED Grants, we don't need big studies. We just need to go to the people who have done it effectively for a thousand years <laughs> and say, listen, guys, you guys do an unbelievably good job at this, can help the rest of us. I think that they would jump at that opportunity. Right. I think it would be a great opportunity to build bridges. And more importantly, I think it would get our forests under the management of people who truly understand conservation while protecting the environment, and that understand that it's not an either-or, a zero-sum equation, that you can have effective use of the forest while maintaining safe growths in the forest and giving that access to people that has worked for thousands of years we have the answers. They're right here in New Mexico. And what the governor should be doing is focusing on how do we embrace their tactics and bringing them into doing the right thing for us, like they've done for themselves on tribal land. And
4: you mentioned some years ago it could be a heck of a jobs program as well. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, Inez, US, Rep- U.S. Representative Melanie Stansbury has introduced two pieces of legislation intended to address water the Rio Grande Water Security Act and the Water Data Act. They WON'T HAVE A DIRECT IMPACT ON THE FIRES WE'RE SEEING NOW. BUT HAVING A BETTER HANDLE ON THE DROUGHT HAS TO BE A POSITIVE MOVE IN THE RIGHT DIRECTION. AM I CORRECT ON THAT?
6: NO, YOU'RE RIGHT. AND, and TAKING CARE OF THE RIVER mm-hmm. uh, AND the, OUR WATERSHEDS IS GOING TO HELP uh, KEEP the, the foliage. I mean, in right. Santa Fe, they've planted trees along the Santa Fe river because they're trying to restore the watershed. Because if you have a healthy watershed, you keep your stream supply flowing and everything works a little bit better. So she's absolutely right to be focusing on the health of the river. Mm-hmm. If it's dried up, we're going to all be suffering.
4: Right. You know, Inez, it's interesting, the politics being what they are and the severity of the problem that Yvette Harrell is a (laughs) co-sponsor, Republican, on this. What do you make of that? That's very interesting, isn't it?
6: I think it's really important for our legislative delegation to Congress to work together. I mean, I grew up in the days of Senator Pete and the Democrat, and they always cooperated, And, and Manuel Lujan was... You know, the congressional guy from Albuquerque and, and then Steve Schiff after, et cetera, and everybody worked together. So mm-hmm. I think if we can get past we have to hate the other side and people can work on what's good for New
4: Mexico, New Mexico is going to be better off. Well said. Thank you all for that discussion. It's one we're going to continue to revisit as New Mexico remains the epic center of wildfire activity here in the U.S. We'll be back in about 15 minutes with one final topic for our line opinion panel legal cannabis rights for tribal communities.
0: Sticking with the Line Opinion panel now, and this is a great time to shout out our companion podcast that's Growing Forward. It's all about the cannabis industry in New Mexico, something we do with the New Mexico Political Report and KUNM Radio. The hosts are Megan Kamrick, the news director over at KUNM, and Andy Lyman of the Political Report. He's been reporting on cannabis for a long time, and there's no shortage of things to talk about. We'll have a new episode out next Tuesday all about the risks and rewards of the industry. But cannabis front and center in the headlines this week, we had two Pueblos here in New Mexico, the Picaris and the Pawaki Pueblos, that have signed agreements to get into the cannabis industry. And this has been an issue we've talked about on Growing Forward before, and it all boils down to the fact that even though New Mexico has now legalized recreational use cannabis, it is still federally illegal. And obviously the tribes have their own compacts and agreements with the federal government. So it sort of puts them in a unique situation and not all tribes and pueblos are willing to get into the risk of all of that. But we now have two who are signing up for that. Look like they're going to move forward with that. And so our line opinion panel dives in to all of that.
4: WELCOME BACK. ONE FINAL TIME TO OUR LINE OPINION PANELISTS THIS WEEK. NEW MEXICO LEGALIZED RECREATIONAL CANNABIS SALES ACROSS THE STATE ON APRIL 1st, AS YOU RECALL, BUT THERE WERE STILL SEVERAL ROADBLOCKS IN PLACE, PARTICULARLY FOR TRIBAL COMMUNITIES. BUT THERE'S BEEN SOME PROGRESS LATE LAST WEEK. TWO NEW MEXICO Mexico TRIBES, POPULUKAY AND Picaris PUEBLOS, SIGNED AN AGREEMENT WITH STATE OFFICIALS RECOGNIZING THE TRIBE'S AUTHORITY TO COLLECT TAXES ON SALES OF CANNABIS PRODUCTS. NOW THAT OPENS THE DOOR FOR CANNABIS PRODUCTS TO BE PRODUCERS AND SOLD IN THE PUEBLOS WHILE BEING TAXED BY THE TRIBES, MUCH LIKE CIGARETTES AND GASOLINE ARE SOLD AND TAXED NOW. NOW HOW IMPORTANT IS THIS STEP IN RECOGNIZING TRIBAL RIGHTS TO CANNABIS? INEZ, I'LL START WITH YOU ON THAT.
6: THE FACT THAT THEY CAN ACTUALLY LEGALLY SELL APPARENTLY ACCORDING TO THIS AGREEMENT IS HUGE Mm -hmm. BECAUSE FEDERAL LAW still has cannabis as illegal. And I've been wondering how any Pueblo or Indian tribe could access this economic development tool when it's a federal crime. So if the agreement works as detailed in the articles and the descriptions, it means one more way that tribes can make money. Mm -hmm. Now, given that substance abuse Is a problem and an issue across New Mexico, not just Indian country. Um, It's gonna be really interesting to see how many tribes actually wanna do this. Mm. Because there is still the idea that marijuana, you know, reefer madness kind of thing. Um, And I know that you're not supposed to have it at Pueblos, even. You know, obviously it's illegal, but it, there's just like a real prejudice against it. Sure. So I'm going to be really curious to see how they they use that and whether they maybe produce it for sale outside and keep the money ah. more than actually selling it. You know, because the Pueblos are really small. So yeah. you're dealing with a few thousand customers at each place, and I'm not sure whether they're going to go there or they're going to take it
4: somewhere else as a producer. That's a good, excellent point. And we know there's been you know issues. Pcarrus had issues trying to participate in the cannabis industry. You know as recently as fall of 2021, federal officials raided a household GARDEN. You might remember that, 2018. Yep. Federal officers destroyed a medical grow operation. Um, Serge, does this agreement help rectify some of that the resentment that might have caused? Uh, I don't know if it rectifies the resentment, but) yeah
7: you know the whole point of this these this agreement that the uh, and powaki have with the state are you know these um, these these arrangements are intended to sort of tell the feds to back off to say right. you know to sort of to to bring what's going on in the tribal lands you know closer to the to the part of cannabis production and 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 regulation that the feds have said we're not going to get involved in right and so you know it's not entirely clear that that it's going to be, you know, this effective, you know, stay away from us uh, tool. But that's the whole point of this, right? Because tribal cannabis, you know, rights are in uh, a bit of a legal gray area and have been contested, and. You know, you, it, the feds are unpredictable about how it depends on who is the you know the U.S. attorney in your area or mm-hmm. who's who's calling whatever shots. And so this is an attempt to to provide some security, some some you know predictability to this. Uh, so hopefully, you know that will be effective.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, Daniel, leaders at uh, both Puehache and Picaris pueblo say they're pleased that they'll have an opportunity to participate in this industry. YOU KNOW, BUT THE BIG ONE HANGING OUT THERE, OF COURSE, IS THE Navajo NATION. YOU KNOW, THERE'S BEEN INEZ'S PAPER AND OTHERS HAVE DONE STELLAR REPORTING ON THE ILLEGAL GROWING OPERATIONS THAT WERE OUT THERE WITH ALL KINDS OF PROBLEMS THAT, that HAPPENED THERE. MIGHT THAT BE A STUMBLING BLOCK TO SOME OF THESE AGREEMENTS FOR OTHER TRIBES TO MAKE SIMILAR AGREEMENTS IN THE NEAR FUTURE?
5: I THINK THE AGREEMENTS WOULD HELP CURB SOME OF THAT PROBLEM, RIGHT? Okay. BECAUSE IF YOU HAD IT REGULATED ON the, THE TRIBES AND PUEBLOS, I THINK THIS IS GOING TO BE MUCH BIGGER this is going to be a much bigger issue than I think anybody's giving you, uh, attention today because I think this is going to become ground zero for the Fed's discussion about states' rights ah. versus uh, tribal rights versus sovereignty. I mean, I'm not sure what other states have entered into these compacts with Native Americans, with tribal entities, but you got to remember no matter what happens, THE TRIBAL ENTITIES, RIGHT, WRONG, OR INDIFFERENT, STILL ANSWER TO THE BUREAU OF INDIAN AFFAIRS. Sure. AND YOU STILL HAVE THE FEDS. AND THE FEDS HAVE BEEN VERY CLEAR THAT THEY'RE NOT ON BOARD FOR THIS SO FAR. AT THE END OF THE DAY, um, I THINK THEY'RE GOING TO BE JOHNNY COME LATELY TO THIS. I MEAN, there's, THERE'S, YOU CANNOT MAKE A LEGITIMATE ARGUMENT TO CRIMINALIZE THE USE OF MARIJUANA IN NEW MEXICO WHEN WE LEGITIMATELY USE drugs that are 10 times worse, prescribe them every day, alcohol, tobacco, everything else. And I think that this could become one of those landmark decisions that you may see in not too long of a time before the Supreme Court where the state and the tribes partner against the feds Maybe in, maybe in the next few years, maybe after the next presidential election, you never know. I mean, there seems to be a lot of things going on mm-hmm. that seem to be more important than fighting weed right now in this in the in the country. But as you said, it just takes a prosecutor, right? You get someone as the U.S. prosecute U.S. Attorney in New Mexico that says I'm going to fight this, or you right. get somebody at the head of uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs or the FBI, because remember, any tr- crimes that are on tribal land, it's the FBI that does that, mm-hmm. and this could be escalated quickly. That says, listen, because this is really going going to draw the line and i think highlight the difference between states rights TRIBAL SOVEREIGNTY AND THE FEDERAL GOVERNMENT'S OVERREACH AND OVERUSE OF FORCE AND POWER ON TRIBAL LANDS AND THIS COULD BECOME A REAL uh, THIS COULD BECOME A REAL A REAL DECISION MAKING CASE I THINK GOING FORWARD I THINK THEY NEED THE OPPORTUNITY I THINK IF I WAS TO GATHER PAYING ATTENTION TO THIS I THINK WHAT WILL HAPPEN THERE WILL OBVIOUSLY BE SOME uh, RETAIL FACILITIES ON TRIBAL LAND BUT I THINK YOU'RE GOING TO SEE THEM IN THE GROWING BUSINESS MUCH MORE THAN THEY ARE IN THE SALES BUSINESS MEANING THEY'RE GOING TO BE HUGE Humboldt county type entities that can distribute this stuff throughout New Mexico. They have the they have the number one thing that's needed that they'll never run out of. And we talked about it earlier. Yeah. Water. That's right.
4: I just right, pick up on that if you would. Some good points there. I
6: think um that both Serge and Dan made great points mm-hmm. about the idea of whether this agreement is going to stand scrutiny from the feds. You know, after all, when you go back to what happened at Pickery's with the raid on the guy that was growing pot in his yard, Mm -hmm. um, someone decided that was a good idea. And there will be a federal prosecutor making a name for himself or, you know, believing that the federal uh, will is is supreme who's going to say, I don't believe these agreements stand up. Mm -hmm. I mean, the clear way out of that is for Congress to legalize marijuana, and then we don't have to Fuss over this, and people can develop their industries and business as they see fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someday someone's going to figure out that that would work and they're going to pass that law, and all of this patchwork of things will go away.
4: Dan makes a good point, though. It takes something to push that forward, and I think this might be it, and he made a good case for that. Thanks again to our Aligned panel, as always, this week. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics the line covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. We'll see you again next week in Focus.
0: And again, that Growing Forward episode will be out on Tuesday. So if you haven't already, subscribe and leave us a review, too. That helps. And if you don't do that for this podcast, we ask you to do the same. Especially those reviews really helps push up the podcast in the algorithm, get it out to more people. So we'd appreciate if you could do that for us. We work hard to bring you this as well as all the content we do each and every week, whether it's on air here in the podcast or on the web, newmexicoandfocus.org is where you can find us. Also social media, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, am i missing facebook all those places just search for new mexico in focus but until then have a terrific memorial day weekend thank you as always for listening i'm your host kevin mcdonald stay safe stay healthy